0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. I wonder what your fight song is today. What like really gets you excited? What really kind of amps you up? What really, really inspires you? You know, we all have a fight song, I think, today. Something that is, is, is something that kind of like a driving force in your life, gets you up out of bed every day. Some of you might have a fight song that, you know, you're just trying to fight for the, the best interest rates or you're trying to fight for a little bit more success at work. You're, you're fighting for a new house. You're, you're fighting, you know, potentially for your marriage. And, and uh, I think we all kind of have those those fighting seasons and, and, and that theme behind our life today. And And I want us to think this morning about kind of the end of our life for a second. And like when we get to the end and, you know, we're retiring and and then, you know, maybe you're kind of like in your last years and you're sick, you're on your deathbed. It's like we want to know at that moment that you spent the majority of your life fighting for the right things. Because at that point, it's too late. I find so many men, especially, who were fighting for success and fighting for fame and fighting for this and that and, and realizing, you know, later on in their life that they were really fighting for the wrong things. Today, I want to look at what it looks like for us to fight for the gospel, to really fight for the things that matter, to fight against darkness and fight for the gospel to penetrate our community I think it's essential that we as a church understand that we exist for the city. We're not here just to, you know, hold up banners that talk about things that we are against. We want to talk about the things that we are for. And we are for the success of this city, the success of this country. We want to see people succeed. And we know that they succeed by the power of the gospel. And so we started this series a couple of weeks ago and we looked at how this man named Nehemiah, 400 years before Jesus was born, realizes that the city of Jerusalem is in disarray. The walls around the city had been destroyed, sacrifices weren't taking place, nobody was honoring the Lord, everybody was kind of serving other gods and, and Nehemiah was broken over this. He had a burden for this city the city of Jerusalem, and and really God birthed that vision in him and gave him that that brokenness over that. And and we talked about how vision is really this idea of what could be and what should be. You have this sense that, man, this is wrong. This should not be happening. And so therefore, something must happen. And so God calls us to to invest and to to strategize and, 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 and to think about ways to solve and resolve those issues through the Holy Spirit. This is what a vision is. God burdens you. It was great to have Pastor Greg here last week. He did an awesome job, was it? Good to see him again and hear a little bit about DC. And, and uh and, and he talked about how vision has to be communicated clearly. There's gotta be strategy behind that. And 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 it's so true. And and this story is a great picture of leadership. And and as we think about uh this Our city and our community, week one, I shared some really sobering statistics and facts about our, our community that we want to, we really want to understand and be burdened for. I talked about how the foster care rate per capita in this city, in this community, county is higher than any place else in the state of Tennessee. We talked about how the drug issue and problem in this county is so bad that we are ranked in, in the top counties in the entire country. We talked about how 70% from a study that, we, that I shared with you, 70% of the people in the Knoxville and surrounding areas are not connected to a church. That blows my mind. We're in the Bible Belt, right? Everybody goes to church. Wrong. of the people in our area are not connected to a church. And then you just look at Christians, people who claim the name of Jesus, and you see the lack of passion, you see the lack of spiritual strength in their life. They're living a weak and defeated life all around us. And as a result, man, we need churches that are healthy. We need to plant more churches in Knoxville. We need to plant more churches around the country and world that are healthy that are making disciples and engaging their city with the gospel. And this is what we are about here at Foothills Church. Um, This is why we are building a new building. This is why we buy the property next door to us. This is why we are creating a new auditorium so that we can create more space for the 70% of the people in our area that are not connected to a church And so we create more space for them so that they can hear the gospel. And so we wanna share the gospel with them, share the love of God with them. Hey, come here, engage in the mission of God through this body of believers. And then we wanna connect them to the people of God so that they can be encouraged and inspired to overcome sin in their life and to serve Jesus. And then we wanna equip them for the mission of God because we wanna send them out like we send you. Every single week, we wanna send you into your neighborhoods, into your offices and into your, 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 your environments of influence so that you can impact others with the gospel. This is what we're about. This is why we do Christmas differently, as had just mentioned. And y'all aren't gonna have church on Sunday? Bunch of heathens. I knew you, bunch of heathens at that church. No, we're just gonna do it differently, right? So, so five, different, five different opportunities, it's gonna be the same service. With that, what that means is we need your help. Like five services means a lot of volunteers. We've got a lot of great volunteers that are committed, but there are many of you not serving. You could give up one service, one hour to come and to serve in one of these hours. I would love for you to do that. Uh, this is one of those like days that we need all hands on deck. So, so no matter where you're serving or whatever, man, give us, give us time there. If you can do that for us, before you leave, go to the Connect Center in the lobby and say, hey, I want to sign up for the Christmas EV services or whatever, and just let them know, and they'll get your information today. But that's, that's huge for us as we are, are, are pursuing this, this new vision. Now, it's also why we give to the Christmas offering— Every year we have one offering, we call it the Christmas offering. It goes to a partners and mission and those kinds of things. And, and so this year we're actually gonna do that a little bit differently too, because we're in a different season. I, like I talked about a couple of weeks ago, different season, different, different kind of a vibe going on right now with this new facility and, and, and the needs are different. The needs are greater. And so what we decided to do with our 2017 budget is to take all of our current partners, all the local organizations that we give to and actually just put that in the budget Instead of using the Christmas offering to do that, we're gonna put that in the budget, so it's locked and loaded. And then for the Christmas offering, we're gonna give to the greatest need and the greatest thing that we can do as a church, because the greatest thing that we are doing currently for this city is creating space for them to experience the Holy Spirit. And so as we give on December 18th, I hope you'll begin to pray about that and give generously towards that because it will go to accomplishing this vision of making disciples and creating space for people who are far from Jesus. Um, As we get closer to that, another, lots of dates today, lots of things happening. December 4th, that's in two weeks. That's on a Sunday night. Um, We're doing, I'm hosting something called Vision Night. And that night, I'm going to share some vision that I haven't shared on a Sunday before, some, some unique things that I feel God is kind of specifically doing in my heart and in our staff. And, 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 and as we move forward, it's going to relate to the building, kind of what that looks like, and then some other things. And I'm excited to do that. I would love for you guys to come and be a part of that. It's December 4th, dessert, coffee, some cool stuff happening that night. And uh, you need to register for that. So you need to go online and let us know that you're coming. Well, this is so important. This is important stuff was just in London last week, meeting with church planners and local um, missionaries from the states that are there trying to figure out how can we engage this city with the gospel and England with the gospel. It was so cool, man, being in London, are you kidding me? It was cool, it was awesome. But what was not cool is as I was driving down the road, we were seeing cathedral after cathedral, church after church, empty, dead, not dying, dead. And guys, the same thing is beginning to happen in America but we cannot let this happen we are responsible for this generation we we cannot allow churches to die and, and as we see this happening we as a church have been gifted and we're structuring ourselves in such a way that, that 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 we want to plant churches and we want to encourage that healthy growth in the body of Christ in this city around the US and even the world it's, it's incredibly important Um, Today, though, I want to look at chapter 2, a couple verses, and then go to chapter 3 and 4. So if you want to turn there in the book of Nehemiah, as we look at this, we're going to see how any kind of vision from God is going to have opposition. There's going to be attacks. There's going to be things that happen that distract you and, and that confuse you and that can get in the way of actually doing what God wants us to do. But the big idea is pretty simple today. The big idea is this, helping people experience Jesus is worth fighting for. Amen, church? Like helping people experience Jesus is worth fighting for. So if you're fighting the wrong thing today, then it's time to kind of get over yourself. It's time to put those things to death and it's time to get on board in the fight that the gospel is fighting against, which is against the enemy and fighting for people to experience Jesus and to mature in their faith with him. That's what we're about. We want to engage in this fight. It's worth fighting for. So let's look at chapter two. I want to remind us from verse 17. Nehemiah says to them, he says, "'See the trouble we're in, "'how Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burned. "'Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem "'that we may no longer suffer derision.'" And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So Nehemiah is broken. He has a burden. He casts the vision. He says, let's go, guys. Let's go build this thing. Let's do this. And they say, yeah, let's go. Let's let us rise up and build. Now hop down to chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zaccur the son of Imri, built. Now, the entire rest of the chapter are names that are hard to pronounce, but it says next to them, several times. Look at verse 4. And next to them, Merimoth. Again in verse 4. Next to them, Meshulam. Hop down. Next to them, Zodak. Verse 5. Next to them. Hop down to verse 7. Next to them, Melatia. Continue on to verse 8. Next to them. Next to them, Hananiah. Verse 9. Next to them, Raphaiah. I mean, over and over. The idea is that every single person was doing their part. Every single person in the community said, yeah, I'm gonna join, I'm gonna do my part. So next to him, there was a group of people working and next to them, there was a a group of people working. Next to them, here's the reality. If you wanna get in the right fight, the fight requires a team effort. The fight requires a team effort. This is so important and valuable. Everybody has to do their part when it comes to a God vision, different people serving different roles under Nehemiah's leadership was necessary. Some people carried stones or bricks and other people carried other supplies. Others actually built the wall. There were leaders that were overseeing the project. Everybody had to do their part. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about how important the body of Christ is and, and, and he, he, he likens it to our physical body. And he says, just like in our physical body, you, know, you have eyes, you have feet, you have ears. As each part of our physical body works in conjunction with one another, you have a healthy body. And the same is true in a church because as a church, we're a team. And this team, when we function together, as we each do our part, we are able to accomplish the vision that God has given to us. Now, this is not my team or my church, by the way. This is our church, our team. I love John Wooden. He used to coach the UCLA Bruins 10 national championships. And, and he had this habit of correcting reporters when they would say, hey, how did you win? He would say, whoa, whoa, I didn't win. The team won. This isn't my team. This is our team. And he, he, he had a habit of talking about that and, and implementing that philosophy as a coach. And, and the reality is true here. This isn't my staff, this is our staff. This isn't my ministry, this is our ministry. It's not your ministry, it's our ministry together. And it requires all of us doing our part and able to accomplish the vision that God has given to us. Now, when you build a wall like this, I mean, not everybody was necessarily most gifted for the role that they were playing. I mean, it says here in chapter three that the priests were building Uh, a a wall. And I'm sure they didn't learn that in seminary. There are many things as a pastor that I had to do and and still continue have to do that I didn't learn in seminary, especially in the early days of this church. I mean, I was, I mean, I didn't know how to, you know, uh, do logos and edit videos. But in the early days, that was all me, man. We got awesome stuff now. Like back in the day, it was me. And I wasn't necessarily gifted, but what I, I had to do, what I felt like needed to be done, and that's kind of the mentality of a healthy team. And I may not be completely, you know, the best at this, but I see a need, and the most important thing in a team is that whatever the need is, I've got, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna fulfill that, you know. And, and and so, you know, if it's on a basketball team, not everybody can score 30 points. You know, not everybody's gonna get all the rebounds. You know. Maybe your job is to go in and play hard defense for a few minutes and then you're back out and then you got to go back in and sub. Whatever our role is, we want to fulfill that role. That's what healthy team environments look like. I, had, uh, I, I hear people in church talk about how, man, I would do this, but I don't really feel like that's necessarily my cup of tea. And I get that. We want to put people in the right places. But at the end of the day, we've got to be willing to fill the greatest need in the church. And so we wanna understand that's how we we pursue God's vision for our church, all doing our part. I mean, I'm sure there were people who were chosen to rebuild the dung gate. Like that's an actual gate, the dung gate. Like I'm sure they weren't like, I have the spiritual gift of dealing with refuse, you know? But they plugged their noses and they went about the work. And I love that mentality, all working together now. And our culture, we don't like ask people to, uh, you know, quit their jobs and then bring their wheelbarrows and their shovels to the church property and start digging footers. And we don't do that. Uh, we hire people. <laughs> we we hire a contractor, and praise God, we have an amazing contractor who's a partner at our church. He gets what we're doing, right? It's not just the building. He gets what we're doing. We're creating space for people who don't know Jesus so that they can experience Jesus. Like he gets that. And so, so as we're thinking about that, like like. We, we want to know what are the ways, how, what, are, what is my role, and, and, and kind of a broad stroke here, what it means to, to, to en- enjoy and to connect with this team effort for you and for me means that we do our part in serving in the ministries of this church, and we are giving financially to the vision of this church. And so that's what it looks like in our country, and our culture today. Different from Nehemiah, everybody was bringing their own tools and, and working on it. But today, we serve faithfully in the ministries and we give financially. This is how we do it. Now, and what, what, what's really cool about this is I was meeting with the guy this week here. Yeah, we I have a coffee and he was just like, you know, it's always been easy for us to give to, to FC. And he's been giving for a few years and, uh, since they started coming. And, and I was like, why? T- tell me about that. And he's like, well, it's easy because I see so much life change and so much stuff happening that God is doing in this church. And, and granted, that's not why I give. He said, like, uh, hear me on this. I've given a, in other places, other churches, and, 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 and not a whole lot was happening. But he said, here, it's different. I see the hand of God, and I know that's what he's called me to do. He said, hey, actually, this is more this, excited and joyful about doing that. see the fight requires a team effort. Secondly, the fight requires sacrifice. All of these people are leaving their homes. They didn't live actually in the city. Um, most of them le- lived on the outskirts of the city. And so they had to leave their homes and they had to move into the city and then begin to, to, to build the wall together. So when you are a farmer and you leave your farm, that can be very intimidating, right? If I'm not working on my farm, how, how, how am I gonna get crops? How, how, how am I going who's gonna take care of that? So they were leaving and sacrificing a lot behind them and, and rebuilding the wall was that valuable and important to them. Now, let me, let's think about that sacrifice. Leaving family, leaving my farm, I'm coming to give Nehemiah all this time and energy, really the Lord, all this time and all this energy. We're gonna see in just a few verses that there are people that promised that, you know, threatening them. That they were going to come and kill them and fight against them. And so they're, they're fearing for their life. They've left their families and, and their farms. And this is a major sacrifice. Let me ask you a question, right? Let's get real for just a minute. What are you sacrificing for God's church today? Not what did you do five years ago or one time, you know, when you were in high school or college. Like, what are you currently sacrificing for God's church today? Think about it. Seriously, think about it. Like, everybody think about it. What are my sacrifices? Can you name one or two in your mind? Like, just kind of just ask God to bring that to your attention. Like, I'm sure some of you are like, well, yeah, I sacrificed. I had to get up a little bit early today. You know, usually sleep till about nine-ish. Had to get up about eight so I could come to church. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, what else? What well, he you gave a few bucks in the offering? Okay, good. But are you going to still eat this afternoon? Most likely like what are, we, what are we really sacrificing for God today? Like when we give to God's church, we should feel that. It should be the difference between this kind of house and that kind of house, this kind of car and that kind of car type stuff, right? We should feel this. We should feel our, our schedule being in tension with serving God and his ministry and then my work environment and my kids' you know, uh, uh, entertainment and, and, and their sport you know, kind of schedule. There should be tension there. What I see is that the tension is between work and Little League, and that rubs all the time. But very rarely do we see, you know, ministry rubbing with the tension of other parts of our schedule. What are we sacrificing? It's just a question to think through because I think it requires sacrifice if we're going to do what God is asking us to do. I'm talking about a church level, but I'm talking about a specific level for you as well because I started this series with telling every one of you that God has a vision for your life, a plan and a purpose for your life. What is that? What is he calling you and driving you to do? What happens when we begin to sacrifice for for the lord is that we begin to see the hand of god moving we begin to see god working in our lives and around our lives and for this group of israelite people this ragtag bunch of unorganized uninspired group of people they rally around the vision and they actually do the impossible and that's what happens when a team dynamic really comes together and people start sacrificing for the same core mission, you see the impossible happening. But in verse five, look at verse five, talking about the Tekoites. It says this, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So there was a group of Israelites. They wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord in this. So like, everybody's not gonna jump on board. And I get that. Not everybody is going to get excited about making disciples. Not everybody's going to get excited about sharing the gospel and growing this church and seeing this church impact this city. I get that. But here's the reality. Those that don't join miss the blessing. Those that don't rally around it, they're the ones that miss what God wants to do in their life. Now let's hop over to chapter 4. Let's see what happens next. Verse 1, chapter 4. Now when Sanballat... Heard that we were building the wall. He was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. In other words, he was conspiring against them. He was criticizing them. He was condemning them. Verse two, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Like this is first century smack talk, right? It's not very good. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now that's weak, man, we can do better. But anyway, verse four, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now look at verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Verse 7, but when to, uh, Sam, Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion confusion in it. Verse nine, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Just pause here for a second and see what's going on. I would say thirdly today that the fight requires perseverance. What the Israelites are experiencing now is opposition from every angle. Listen, any time you want to do something for the Lord, anytime you want to try to impact someone else's life with the gospel, there's going to be opposition. There's not an if about it, it will happen. And we've got to persevere through the, through, through the persecution. We've got to persecu- uh, uh, persevere through, you know, the people making fun of us or, you know, people that, that would condemn us. We've got to persevere through all of these things. And, and we really get to the bottom of it when we ask this question, are we willing to pay the price for the vision. Are we will, willing to pay the price? Because if we're going to pay the price, you can guarantee that that is fueled by perseverance. So you and I, are we going to pay the price? Any Anytime you're following a vision, you're creating change in the lives of others, you're going to face criticism. Nehemiah and the Israelites were facing a lot of it. They were fearing for their life. This guy named Sanballat, He was the governor of Samaria. If you know anything about the New Testament, you know that Jews and Samaritans clashed. They didn't like each other. And it went all the way back to several hundred years, uh, even before this time kind of really kind of met ahead at this time. And so he knew that if Jerusalem repaired the walls, the city got built back up, like he would lose control again. There could be a lot of problems for him. So he didn't like it. He didn't want it to happen. His sidekick, Tobiah, he didn't like it either. And he's the one that was making fun. Yeah, whatever they build, a fox can knock it down. They can't build. So they're, they're criticizing their abilities. They're criticizing their character. They're criticizing everything about them. But in verse six, it, said, it says this, that the people had a mind to work. I love that. Because when you have a mind to work, in other words, you are so dedicated, you are so focused on the vision that God has given to you. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter how people ridicule you. It doesn't matter the odds that you face. You have a mind to do what he has called you to do. But the critics, they want to discourage, they want to distract you. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says that Nehemiah wanted to seek the welfare of the city. Listen, any time that you are trying to seek the welfare of the city, there will be opposition. There will be critics. And so we have to persevere. There will be people making fun of you. There will be people that say, just be normal. Why do you got to be like that, man? Why can't you just be like us? Why do you got to cause ruffles? Why do you got to go to that links? Why do you got to be so different? And your response is, man, I've got a mind to work. I've got a mission to fulfill. I love verse eight too. This is this is very telling, important stuff. So verse eight, they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion, to cause confusion. You know the best way to defeat your opponent is to cause confusion? Think about it. If you're confused about what the goal is, why are we even here on Sunday? Why? Are, I mean, literally. Why are we here? We're here just to kind of get a good fuzzy warm feeling. No, we're here to worship God and to get inspired and engage in the mission that He's given to us. But but if we lose focus of that, if we don't, if we're confused about that, we're not going to be energized or motivated to 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 be involved in it. If you're confused about what it means to follow Jesus, then you're not going to be motivated to sacrifice for Him. If you're confused about the doctrine of hell. Then perhaps you might think, oh, you know, sure, surely everybody's going to go to heaven, right? Surely God's not going to let people go to he- hell. If you're confused about that, then your motivation to share the gospel is is gone, right? So think about it like this: You need Peyton Manning fans in the room, Peyton Manning. Woo-hoo. Okay, well, all right. Why is he so good? Because he can confuse the heck out of you, right? You, 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 he called, the, the play is called, he goes to the line, he sees the, the formation of the defense, right? And now all of a sudden he's starting to point, and, uh, uh, you know, he's calling all these plays and doing all this, Omaha, right? All this stuff is happening. And the defense is like, oh crap, what, what are we doing? You know, now they're confused. Now he's hiking the ball and, you know, throwing a touchdown and he confused the defense like crazy. And the same is true, I think on any team, especially in the church, the enemy wants to confuse us. If the enemy can confuse us on our mission, there's not clarity on what we're supposed to be doing here as a follower of Jesus, then we'll start fighting against each other. We'll start condemning each other. We'll start backbiting and gossiping about each other. We'll start criticizing each other, which is another great strategy of the enemy because when you're criticized, when you personally are being criticized by somebody, what do you do? You focus more on the person criticizing you than you do the mission. And so we've got to understand this is how the enemy works. This is what his goal is. And we've got to fight through that confusion. In verse 10, it says that the Israelites are saying this, that there's too much rubble. There's too much rubble. In other words, the task at hand is too hard. Like you're calling us to build a wall. You're causing, you know, you want us to do all this. But think of this huge, massive stone wall that was knocked down and burnt to the ground. And all these heavy, you know, extremely heavy rocks are there. I mean, it was a hard Work. It's too much rubble, man. I don't know if we want to do this. It's really, really hard. (laughs) This is what happens in the daily grind of your life, isn't it? You want to be a man of God. You want to serve your family as the spiritual leader. But you're tempted to say, Man, there's too much rubble. (laughs) I got too many kids. I got too many problems. My wife, I don't know what the you know? It's too much, too much rubble. The problems are too big. We got problems in our city. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know people are going to hell, but it's too much rubble in my own life, man. How, how can I help somebody else with all this rubble, you know, going on in my heart? That's a good excuse. It causes confusion. It causes fear in our own life when we look at our problems and we look at the massiveness of the issue. We can get overwhelmed by that every day. We've got to persevere, take that next step of faith that we know God is calling us to take. Again, in verse 10, it says that you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. And that's the reality as well. This is why teamwork is required because we can't do this on our own. Together, we can do so much more than we ever could on our own. So we can't do this by ourselves. The problems are too big. It's too great. But together, we can accomplish what God has given us to do. They were losing heart. The thrill of the new project was over, and so they began to get tired. They're away from their homes. They've got this huge task ahead of them. They're fearing their lives, that somebody's going to come and kill them. You can see how this breakdown has begun to take place, but they must persevere. Jonas Salk developed the polio vaccine, and he said this as it relates to persevering and accomplishing something great. He said, first, people will tell you that you're wrong. Then they'll tell you that you're right, but you're doing, but what you're doing is, really isn't important. Finally, they'll admit that you are right and that what you're doing is very important, but after all, they knew it all the time. <laughs> I mean, isn't that people? Like, criticize, criticize, stop, don't, don't. Oh, okay, yeah, you're, it's not important. Oh, you did it? Oh, yeah, we knew that anyway. Yeah, that would have that been invented anyway. <laughs> Dreams are scary. God's vision for your life can be overwhelming. You think, how am I going to do it? How how am I going to accomplish this? Dreams calls us to get outside of our comfort zone. Leaving that comfort zone means that we're willing to pay that price. And that's really, really scary because we like to be comfortable. Jack Canfield says, your comfort zone is a prison you live in. A largely self-created prison. The reality is some of you need a prison break today. You've created this little comfortable life, you're not completely fulfilled, and the reason is because you've created a prison of comfortability in your life, and you're not engaged in the fight. You're not engaging in the mission, the vision that God has given to you today. You know, I've had a handful of people over the years try to discourage me and prevent me from leading this church. And, uh, jobs that come available or things that happen to get me distracted. And, and uh, I remember the, even the first six months of this church, people there were so many problems, it was so difficult, um, so many issues. And guys would tell me, man, why don't you just shut it down? I think you probably just need to shut it down. Praise God, we, we persevered through those days. I had a, people tell me, even the last year, you're never going to buy that property. You're never gonna build a new auditorium. There's not, there's not enough, you can't do it, you're never going, you persevere. You take the next step. God is faithful. What he's calling you to, he will also equip you to do. And we've gotta understand that it takes perseverance to get to where God wants us to go. Let's see what happens next in verse 11. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So they're plotting to come to kill them as they work. Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Don't, don't breeze by that. What's happening? As these guys are working hard, there's criticism, there's fear, fear for their life, there's too much rubble, we can't do this. They're friends, other Jews, people they were connected to, some of them, their family members, came up to them 10 different times and pleaded with them to stop the work and to come home. Quit, is what they were saying essentially. Quit, stop, just come home. It's too, it's too difficult. It's too hard. Sometimes those who are closest to us can discourage us the most. And you've got to be so laser focused on the vision God has given to you as a man, as a woman of God, as a leader you got to know this is what God is calling me to do. No matter what, you know, this person or that person might say to me or around me, like, no, I am going to persevere through this. This is a good work that God has given for me to do. And I'm not going to let you distract me. I'm not going to let you take the focus away from what God is calling me to do. Verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people. By their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who was great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Listen, guys, no matter what we face as a church, no matter what you are facing as an individual, as you are serving God, as you are trying to fulfill and accomplish the vision that God has given to you, here's a strategy that I believe works. Are you ready? Right from scripture, number one, don't be afraid. No matter what election time looks like, no matter what the future of the country looks like, no matter what your business looks like, no matter what your family looks like today, do not be afraid. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be afraid. Tell him. tell them with passion. Say, don't be afraid. This is the most encouragement they're going to they receive all week. Don't be afraid. Step two, remember the Lord. That's why we don't have to be afraid. We remember how wonderful and awesome he is. <laughs> he is great and awesome. Don't forget that. Turn to the person next to you and say, remember the Lord. Tell him, tell him. But I remember the Lord. Step three. It's a fight. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. It's a fight. Turn to the person next to you and say, "You got to fight. Got to fight. This is what it looks like to serve God, guys. It's it's not like oh, yes to Jesus. I get baptized and all my problems are gone. My wife is all, all of a sudden amazing to me and." My children love and adore and respect me. And they sing hymns at night before I go to bed. (laughs) Serving the Lord is a fight. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight. This is a mantra. This is a slogan that you should just like tattoo on your brain. The next time somebody criticizes you, The next time you get in an argument with a family member over doing something right in their life, you've got to remember, I got to fight and God's going to give me victory and God's going to give me strength and I'm going to remember him and I'm I'm going to know that this is what he has called me to do. And so I want to be faithful no matter what the results are. Listen, no matter how fast our church grew or how many people we baptized or how great this place is, the end of the day, I want to be faithful with the next step. And Whatever that next step is, I want to be thankful for whatever it is that God allows to take place. Some of you have got to remember that. In verses 11 through 20, the plan of attack and the fear tactics continue. In verse 12, the families of the workers come in, they plead with them to come home to discourage them, but they don't, they remember, hey, we've got to, we, we, we can't be afraid. We've got to remember the Lord and we've got to fight. In verse 17, Nehemiah says, look, I want you to hold a spear in one hand and then, you know, your shovel in the other. It doesn't say shovel, but essentially that's the idea. Like with one hand, we're going to build the wall. And with the other hand, we got a spear. Just in case Sanballat Tobiah tries to come up on us, We're ready. You know, I got my sword, my spear, and I'm working on the wall. And that's the same mentality that it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I'm I'm building the vision that God has given to me, I'm working at it, I'm ready. Got my sword, I'm ready to fight. Serving Him, because it's always a fight. Verse 20 says that our God will fight for us. And that's the key. That's where the faith comes in as we are pursuing God's vision as a church. God's fighting for us. God, listen. God is fighting for this city more than me, <laughs> more than you and I ever will. As a matter of fact, some of you aren't experiencing the power of God in your life. You're not experiencing like a close relationship with the Lord because you're not fighting. You're comfortable. You know, you're on the couch in Little League World and doing your deal at work, and making sure your life and your little kingdom is getting built. And then you're like, oh, I don't really feel God. God. I don't really see what he's doing. Sometimes we blame the church or we blame a leader or a small group leader. We blame other people for why we're not experiencing Jesus. And the reality is, where is he today? Is he on the front lines or is he kind of? No, if you want to engage the fight and you want to engage the front lines of ministry, you're going to experience him because that's where he is. He's on the front lines working and serving and fighting for this city. When we were in London, um, Winston Churchill was like everywhere, statues and there's a big museum there for him and learned a ton about him. He's a world like hero for all of us, but especially in London, he is very highly revered. And I read about a story told by a veteran. Uh, it was D-Day and they were in England and they were getting ready to cross the English channel on D-Day uh, in World War II uh, to fight the Germans uh, on the shores of France, and he tells the story, everybody was scared to death, he says, and, and we were all fearing for our lives, and, and uh, then we got a special surprise visit from somebody, unannounced Winston Churchill drives in on a Jeep, and he starts shaking the soldier's hands, and he starts patting them on the back, and he starts having conversations and encouraging them, and then he, then he gets up on top of the Jeep, and he gives this incredible speech, maybe you've read it, I wanted to share it with you today. He says this, gentlemen, I know you're afraid. I remember being afraid when I was a soldier. I had the privilege of defending my country for a number of years through dark days when we didn't know whether we could accomplish what we had been given to do. But this is your moment. We're counting on you to rise to the occasion and achieve everything you have set out to do. The fate of the free world rests on your shoulders. May this be your finest hour. And that veteran said, everybody cheered. Everybody was pumped up and excited. They were energized, and and you know the rest of the story. Many of them sacrificed their lives on that day. But praise God, they were able to accomplish freedom for you and I to enjoy today. You know, the reality is serving the Lord can be scary at times. It can be scary to to begin to consider giving away money to a church when you think, well, I don't get to spend that on me if I give it to the church. It can be scary to join a ministry that you've never done or it could be scary to join a small group or to get involved in a church because there's people here and they're going to ask me questions. It can be very intimidating begin to follow God's vision for your life. But this is your moment. The city is counting on you. The city is counting on us to rise up to this occasion and achieve everything that God has given us to do in this season, at this time. And while the salvation of their souls does not rest upon our shoulders, sharing the message of the gospel does rest on your shoulders and my shoulders. That's the mission that God has given to us. May this be our finest hour as a church. May this be the finest season that Foothills Church has ever had, coming together like never before, to give and to sacrifice and to serve like never before for this city. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.